0: Well, good morning. Uh, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Andres, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ the King. If you are new here, uh, welcome. We're really glad and grateful that you've decided to join us on this 4th of July weekend. It's always our hope and our prayer that you would experience Christ's presence here in our midst. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm chapter 10, and can be found on page 451, 451 of the black Bibles that you have there in your seats or in front of you. It'll also be behind me here on the screen. So hear God's word to you this morning from Psalm chapter 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages and hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself, you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer, call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever, the nations perish from his land O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, you will strengthen their heart, you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we approach now your word. Would you allow it to cause true transformation and bear true fruit in our lives. Help us to understand it and hear it this morning. Put our focus in you and in your word and speak to each one of us, whatever situation we may be in. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. We are... um, right in the middle of a uh, sermon series going through the book of Psalms this morning. And we arrive, of course, to Psalm chapter 10, which means we are 10 weeks into this summer psalm series. Uh, Psalms, of course, is a book in the Bible. Um, We titled this, you can actually see it there uh, in the front of your order of worship or bulletin, we titled this sermon series Songs in the Key of Life. Uh, It's a riff of sorts uh, from Stevie Wonder's uh, album from... Uh, The 70s, some consider his last great album of his golden years. Um, Not only because we love Stevie Wonder, I suppose, but um, also because that album was written to really uh, be heard, played, listened to, no matter what situation you find yourself in. And that's really what the Psalms are. The Psalms are a book given to us by God, to his people, so that we can pray, sing, meditate, read, lament over joyful and happy over no matter what situation of life we find ourselves in. Martin Luther, the theologian from hundreds of years ago, writing about the Psalms said this, everyone, whatever his situation may be, finds words in the Psalms that fit his situation and apply to his case so exactly that it seems they were put in this way only for his sake. What Luther was getting at is that the Psalms are so incredibly honest, raw, and real, and they can apply to every single area of your life, no matter what situation, no matter what emotion and feeling you happen to find yourself in. What this reminds us is that Christianity, as a religion, as our faith, is incredibly honest, raw, it's, it's vulnerable, it's real about whatever situation we find ourselves in. And that's a refreshing reminder that no matter how we come to church, even this morning, you can bring it all to God. There is nothing that you have to hold back. There's nothing that you have to hide. There's nothing you can hide. God already knows it all. And so we can bring it all before God knowing that he will listen. Now, Psalm 10 specifically was written by an author, by the psalmist, who is seeing all these injustices, all these evils that are happening around him that he sees in society, in the world, in the city. And he's speaking honestly about them. Now, the author says that whenever we go through pain and suffering, whenever we see evil and injustice, there are three things we need. We need an accurate assessment we need an accurate diagnosis, and we need an accurate prescription. Whenever we go through pain and suffering or see evil and injustice in the world, he says we need three things, an accurate assessment, diagnosis, and prescription. And so that's what we'll look at this morning going through Psalm chapter 10. We'll look at each of these points individually. So chapter one, whenever we go through pain and suffering, we need an accurate assessment. Depending on who you talk to, um, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, and you ask them about the Bible, what it is, what it does, you'll get a number of different responses. You know, for some people, uh, the Bible is, is seen as, as a religious book, right? It's, a, it's like, like any other religious book on how to, um, how to find God, how to please God, you know, how to, how to, how to do things for God. Other people will tell you that, you know, the Bible is is a moral book. It's an ethical book. It's filled with laws and commandments about how how to live a good life, how to be kind to other people. Um, Others, you know, might tell you, a lot of us, I think, probably uh, see the Bible in this way if we haven't learned how to read it, as a sort of children's book, that it's filled with kids' stories, sort of like Aesop's Fables. Do you remember that from, you know, uh, intro to Greek? Uh, where there's all of these stories. So you get Noah in the flood, Abraham and Isaac. You get Moses down the river. Uh, you get Jonah and, in the belly of the fish. You get Jesus and Paul. Right, But here the thing about um, all these different ways of, of seeing the Bible, the thing that they have in common is that the Bible is seen essentially as a book that is detached from life. Detached from life. In other words, the Bible is not seen a book, seen as a book that speaks to real life, right? It, whether um, it's seen as a religious book or as a- Aesop's fable, kids' stories, but they all hold in common: the Bible is not really about this life. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, the Bible is a religious book of sorts. Yes, it tells us how to live. Yes, it's got some pretty incredible stories. But you haven't really understood how to read the Bible if you see it as a disconnected story from reality, from life, from this life. The Bible is incredibly, fundamentally a book about God speaking to us in this life, in this world. The Bible speaks to us no matter what condition we find ourselves in. Now, Psalm 10 looks at one specific area of our life, injustice. And it talks about it in an incredibly realistic way. And comprehensive way. I mean, just look again or listen, verse one. look at how it starts. "Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now doesn't that sound like an incredibly honest question? How many of us haven't asked that question of God before, or maybe wanted to ask him that question before? "Why, God? Why are you so far away? Why are you so distant? Why don't you fix this problem? Why do you seem to hide yourself whenever I go through problems, through struggles, through issues that really matter? You know, um, different cultures, different uh, religions will view pain and suffering, evil and injustice in a couple of different ways. Buddhism, take Buddhism, for example, the religion. Um, Buddhism sees pain and suffering as essentially a state of mind. In other words, it's something up here. And so the the goal is really to transcend that state of mind in some sense, right? To to reach peak enlightenment, peak spirituality, so that pain and suffering, you know, so that you can overcome it, as it were. Um, Ancient Greek culture... Uh, which is um, when the New Testament was written and has influenced a lot of our own views here in modern America, uh, would say that you know pain and suffering are just a part of this world. Pain and suffering has always existed. It's always been. And so really the solution or the goal is to just escape this world. You, your real you, is is, is a spirit. It's a soul. And the real you is stuck inside of this body, stuck inside of the flesh. And so the goal is for the real you to escape this body, to escape this world into whatever's after, whatever's after death, right? Um, modern culture, by that I mean contemporary American culture, sees pain and suffering in a couple of different ways. Um, uh, you know, we believe in, in progress here, in the myth of progress, in the story that things are getting better. And so, you know, we might say, yes, there's pain and suffering now. We see injustices, but eventually things will get better, right? Eventually things uh, will repair themselves or heal. Or some of us, you know, depending uh, what we believe, actually we look at injustice and evil, and that's actually proof for us that God doesn't exist. How could he? We see all this evil, this injustice, this abuse, lying, theft, murder, and we say, see? God can't exist, he doesn't. How could he in the midst of everything that I'm seeing? Now traditional religion, um, Christianity or otherwise, um, has a version of that and, and sees pain and suffering in a couple of different ways. Um, one way that traditional religion has seen pain and suffering you know is is a um, well we, we we say we really shouldn 't complain to God suck it up um, don 't don 't complain don 't question god don 't doubt what he 's doing uh, you really shouldn 't cry out to god you sh- you shouldn 't complain so that 's traditional religion um, or I might say you know and this is prevalent in some Christian circles. Um, Christians should really only prosper. Things should only go well for you. Right? If you're a Christian, you should have the best marriage, the best kids, the best education, you should have good health, you should have wealth, etc. Christians should prosper. Or the other side of that, some will say traditional religion says that if you are suffering, God or the gods are punishing you. Because of your Sin because of some hidden sin or because you just don't have enough faith. You're not trusting God enough. The Bible doesn't say any of that. The Bible actually goes against each one of those cultural religious beliefs. The Bible says, Christianity says, that pain is real and that pain hurts. That suffering is not just a state of mind for you to transcend, it's real, and it hurts. Uh, The Bible also says that pain is not natural. That yes, it's a part of our um, fallen, broken world now, but that's not the way God designed it to be. Genesis one and two says that God created a good, righteous, beautiful world. That yes, things have gone wrong, that was not how God designed it to be. So no, pain and suffering are not natural. Uh, the Bible, Christianity, also says that pain, your pain may not get better. You know, this myth of progress that things are just gonna keep getting better and better. The Bible says no, actually you might suffer for the rest of your life. Um, God might not answer uh, your requests the way you want it to, the way you, you, you are praying it. The Bible also says that pain is not always the result of sin. How do we know this? Look at the book of Job. Remember Job? Job is an Old Testament character, if you forgot or don't know. it's an Old Testament character, has his own book written after him. Just read the first two chapters, right? It's like 42 chapters. Just read the first two. It says he was a good, moral, upright, righteous man. He was a good guy, okay? wasn't perfect, but he was pretty close. What happens to him? He suffers unimaginable tragedy. I don't have time to get into it. But he loses his family, loses his kids, loses his lands, his wealth, contracts a skin disease so terrible that he just wishes to die. So no pain and suffering are not always the result of some hidden sin. Job is proof of that. The Bible also says that pain knows no boundaries. It affects Christians and non-Christians alike, religious and secular people alike, rich and poor, citizen and immigrant. It affects everyone alike. Pain knows no boundaries. Jesus himself says in this world, you will have trouble, expect it, know it will happen. But the Bible also says, and this is incredibly important, that your pain and your suffering can and must be brought to God. God knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going through. You don't have to hide it. Bring it to him. I mean, the book of Psalms, this is a complaint. Verse one is a complaint. Why, Lord, do you stand so far away? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you doing something? Why are you fixing this? Why? Why? The author really wants to know. And we also want to know why. So see, the Bible is incredibly realistic. The Bible is also really comprehensive about pain and suffering. Um, Every week, uh, pastors and interns here at Christ the King at the church will get together uh, Tuesday morning in an office. And we will look at the text that the preacher is going to preach that upcoming week. And we'll read it. And then we'll discuss it, we'll go over it. Um, and so this last week, I was obviously I'm preaching today, and so I led the discussion, and I had the group go through an exercise where I asked them to look at verses 2 to 11, which is that next section. You can do this too uh, on your way home or at home later this week. And I asked them, look at verses 2 to 11, where the author is looking at, the, again, this group that he calls the wicked, which you'll look at. At here in a, in a moment, we'll, we'll look at them. But they're groups of people or individuals who are causing harm to those who are helpless, to the poor, uh, to the needy. And I asked them, hey, look at these verses and describe, ta- let's talk about what injustices do you see? What injustices do you see in verses 2 to 11? Here are some things that we came up with. Greed, pride, exploitation, abuse, lying, oppression, inequality, murder, cursing, threatening, bullying, taking advantage of the weak, ignoring and dismissing God, sinning against my neighbor, and sinning against God. Do you see how incredibly comprehensive the evil and the injustices that the author sees is? Um, Modern culture is really good at assessing um, structural or societal problems in society, in culture. Traditional religious um, uh, 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 people are really good at assessing uh, moral or ethical problems in society. But do you notice that the Bible does both. That the Bible doesn't separate, it doesn't divide. The Bible says that problems, injustices, evils in society are both large and small. It says that evils are both structural and they're ethical. They're both cultural, broad, and they're individual. They're more narrow. We can work at reforming culture, and we can and should work at reforming lives. We must preach the gospel in word And we must also preach the gospel indeed. This psalm is proof of that. And that's what it's showing us. Christians actually throughout all of church history have always been involved in fighting injustices. But they've always done it knowing that no one issue, no one evil or injustice was greater than the other, was more important than the other. And they always did it without judging other Christians, fellow believers who thought another issue was more important, more prominent, more pressing. The Bible looks at all problems and says, they are all evils, they are all injustices. So the author, the psalmist, is looking at how realistic and comprehensive the injustices in the world are. And he asks a simple but deep question, why? Why, Lord? Why are you so far away? Now, you know, he's not asking that question because he expects... Uh, things in this world to be perfect. He's also not asking him because uh, he doesn't expect to suffer. He's definitely not asking that question because he doesn't believe in God. He trusts Him. He knows Him. You know our 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 modern belief in 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 atheism did not exist as we know it in ancient society. Modern atheistic belief, the non-belief in God, is a modern phenomenon in the way we understand non-belief or unbelief in God. So the psalmist, because you'll notice, you know, at several points, he'll say things like, you know, there is no God and things of that nature. He's not questioning God's existence. That's not what he's doing. He knows That evil is real. He knows that injustices are present. That doesn't bother him. He knows that we live in a sinful, broken, flawed world. He expects there to be evil and for people to do evil things, sinful things. He's not um, obsessed over that. He's concerned about God's seeming absence. He's concerned that God doesn't seem to be doing anything. The author is not shocked by the evil's presence, he's concerned by God's absence, which is really incredible because so many of us seem to do quite the opposite. We're so shocked to hear that sinners sin, that we do evil, and yet how often we never seem to mind God, never seem to question whether he's present. Frankly, some of us don't even care But for the author, injustice is not an excuse to turn from God, but an opportunity to approach God. So first, we need an accurate assessment. Second, we need an accurate um, diagnosis of the injustices of this world. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> whenever we, um, whenever we see pain and suffering, whenever we experience an injustice, we want to blame someone or something. All of us, everyone, blames everyone and everything for problems in the world. Some people will blame the economy as the problem. Others will blame, you know, the fact that there is no Bible or prayer in schools. Some will blame legislation. Others will blame lack of legislation. Some will blame secularism. Others will blame religion. Who's right? Well, the Bible says both are and, and neither. Because see, the Bible says, yes, all of those things are problems. All of those things are issues. There are injustices. There's evil. And there's real sin in the world. But what is... What the Bible says is that underneath all of those evils and injustices is sin. Sin. Not sins, plural, but the sin underneath every other sin. What do I mean by that? Um, Take the issue of greed. So you have the sin of greed, but what is the sin underneath the sin of greed? Or you have theft, murder, abuse, real sins. But what is the sin underneath those sins? What the Bible says is that the sin underneath um, the, the fountain or the well, W-E-L-L, that gives birth to all these other sins is a fundamental disregard for God. It's, it's, it's not having God at the center of our lives, but instead having ourselves in the center. It's disregarding God, not giving him his due as the creator, not giving him proper worship, adoration, praise, and honor, but instead turning that around, putting us, our needs, our desires, our wants, and our dreams in the center and demanding that everyone and everything else submit to that. Some call it um, self-centeredness. Martin Luther, again, uh, the reformer hundreds of years ago, um, called the sin underneath every other sin a sort of curving in of the self. It's, It's the self, it's you and me not looking upward to God, not looking outward in love, but looking inward. That is the sin underneath every other sin. It's what we call original sin, and we are born this way in our very nature. It's there since the time of our birth and conception. People are not sinners because they sin. They sin because they're sinners, It's in us. We're all guilty and we all stand condemned. Russian writer um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote, The line between good and evil runs not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The line between good and evil runs through every human heart. See, what he's saying, what the Bible says, is that the problem is not out there. The problem is not those people. The great theologian Taylor Swift is right. (laughs) It's me. Hi. I'm the problem, it's me. The problem is all of us. We are guilty of injustices. We stand condemned as sinners. Uh, Paul, the apostle in the book of Romans, will actually quote Psalm 10 to make an argument, to make a point that everyone stands guilty before God. Christian and non-Christian, uh, citizen and immigrant, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, it doesn't make a difference. This is what Paul says in Romans three ten to 18. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. No one does any good—not even one. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, why is this important? Why is it important to understand this to get this right? You've heard the um, the phrase or the saying: um, "When all you have is a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail." What you think our problem, our fundamental problems as humans, is, will determine um, what solution you propose to fix it. So, you know, if you think fundamental problem is 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 the economy, then the solution is legislation. If you think the problem is those people, whoever those people are, then the solution is get rid of them but if the problem if the sin underneath the sin is sin, is this the virus that infects all of us who can fix that? God and only God can fix it second we need an accurate diagnosis, third and last we need an accurate prescription what do we do you know, where do we start? Um, th- there's two opposite reactions to uh, dealing with pain, suffering, or injustices in the world. One is, is essentially to fight back. It, it, it's to, to take matters into our own hands, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It, it's, it's to take out the sword and fight. The image here is of Peter, the apostle, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as his master Jesus is being arrested, takes out his sword and says, I'm ready to fight. But Jesus says, no, these are not the weapons that I use in my kingdom. See, the solution is not, I'm gonna take my sword and fight back then. In fact, taking up the sword actually puts us on the same level as the wicked in this text. Why? Because taking up the sword, fighting back, taking revenge, taking matters into our own hands, is akin to not believing in God. It's akin to disbelief. It's not believing that God will judge, that God will take matters into His own hands, that God will put the right, that to, uh, will put the world to rights, that one day God will come back and He will judge all unrighteousness, all evil, all injustice, all sin. It's disbelieving that. It's saying, I'm going to take matters into my own hands now. The opposite of that, though, the opposite reaction, is to not do anything. Is, 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 is to turn a blind eye, to look away at, at abuse and injustice, to, to live a life of, of apathy. That's also wrong. It, it, believing that sin is a sin underneath every sin doesn't mean that we shouldn't fight injustice wherever we see it. But it does mean that we don't use the same tools the world uses. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, and so our weapons are not of this world. So what do we do? What does the author do? What does the psalmist do in Psalm 10? He doesn't take up the sword, but he's also not passive. He is active in asking the Lord to act. Remember verse 1 when he says, Lord, why are you far away? Well, this is what he tells him. He th- This is what the author wants God, wants from God. Verse 12, arise, Lord. Do you know what that means? Get up. Stand up, God. Do something. Fix this. Are you sleeping? Wake up. And so what does God do? What will God do? Well, God draws near, but in in an unexpected way. The author could never have imagined the way that God gets up because what the gospel tells us is that God did get up to come down. See, what we need is someone who can pay the penalty for our sins and for our injustices and who can defeat all the evil forces at work in this world. And so God himself gets up and he comes down. He enters this world in Jesus. Jesus is God's answer to all of the world's evil and injustices. Jesus, God in the flesh, enters our world. The truly righteous one, the truly moral, holy, perfect one enters our world, and suffers for us. The wicked trample on Jesus. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, he is spat on, he is cursed, he is trampled over, he is helpless, he is needy, he is the poor one on the cross. He has no one on the cross. The father himself turns away from Jesus on the cross. You don't talk about being helpless, and being needy, and being poor. That was Jesus on the cross. The truly righteous, moral, upright one, suffering on the cross, being tortured. Why? For us. Our sins put him there. Our injustices laid on him. Our evils laid on him. The powerless one did not take up the sword. He didn't argue his way out of it. He didn't even speak up. He submitted himself. He suffered the consequences of our sin. Why? So that you and I can experience the never-ending love of the Father. Jesus took on the greatest injustice that you and I could ever experience. Separation from the Father. Hell. The wrath of God, he took it on himself so that you and I wouldn't have to. If Jesus was willing to do that for you, isn't he able to deliver you? Isn't he strong enough to walk with you? What makes Christianity so unlike every other religion is primarily this, on the view of pain and suffering, No other religion gives you a God who suffers with you and who suffers for you. Only Christianity. Do you have a God who knows what it's like? Who knows what it's like to suffer abuse at the hands of evildoers? Us? We're the wicked in the story. We're the evildoers in the story. We nailed Jesus to the cross, but he doesn't hold that against us. He does us pay us back according to our sins. His mercy are new every single morning. Have you trusted in him? Have you trusted in Jesus? Are you trusting in him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great undeserving gift of Jesus. Thank you that the solution to all of our problems is not anything that we could do. We can't. It's not enough power. Thank you that you did what only you could do by sending your son, Jesus, in the flesh to cover over the greatest injustice, sin and death. Help us to trust in you and to live in light of that, to fight against, yes, the evils and injustices in this world, not so that we may be saved or so that we might be righteous, but because we have been loved and we want to bring healing to this world working with you. Pray this through Christ our Lord, amen.